the 49ers dropped their third game in a row before heading into the bye week. And what moves do the Giants need to make this offseason? All that and more in this episode of the Long Live the Bay podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Lofton Lechner, and let's jump right into it, where in Week 10, the 49ers lost to the Saints 27-13, and this was a game that was really just defined by the special teams for both teams. There was a t- there was a total of four muffed punts in this football game, two by the Saints and two by the 49ers, and the Niners were only able to recover one of them. The Saints recovered all th- all the other muff punts. They recovered three out of the four. Niners only recovered one. And that just kind of shows you how the game went. The Saints were able to do everything, winning on special teams, winning on defense, winning on offense. While the Niners, they couldn't win any of the three battles, really shooting themselves in the foot by having two muff punts. Same with the Saints, but the Niners having two muff, muff punts after losing two weeks in a row now. Those are just mental mistakes that kind of need to be cleaned up and just kind of shows you where this team is at mentally. They are injured to heck and they are just struggling in every sense of the word. They really need this bye week coming up. And in the game, the Saints fumbled a lot of times. They had five total fumbles. They had three others besides the two muffs, which only the Niners recovered one of them. And that really just shows you that the Niners were given opportunities to make turnovers and they only had two when they really should have had a whole lot more when two of those muff punts, if the Saints muff two of them, you got to get two of them. If, if the other team muffs a punt, you got to get them. The Saints got the Niners. The Niners needed to get one of those. And the Saints had three fumbles. One of them was on a handoff to Drew Brees. It was a bad snap. He picked it up and just tossed it to Kamara, who just walked it in for the touchdown. Um, that, really, that one's not on the Niners' defense as much. Really should have just tried to stop that play there. The Saints had their one bad They had their one bad snap that led to a fumble, but touchdown. The Niners need to recover the two other ones they made. On offense, the Niners' pa- Mullins was able to pass for 247 yards. He did have a touchdown, but he did throw two interceptions. Not really a good, clean game for Mullins. And the ground game is where the Niners really got stopped. This was the second-ranked run defense in the Saints. And they really played like it today, the or played like it on Sunday. The Niners ha- went for, tw- on 25 attempts, they rushed for 49 yards. That's 1.6 yards per attempt. And this is a team that wants to run first. In order to help guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and Nick Mullins at quarterback, they need to run first. And throughout the game, the Niners were unable to get the run even started. Jarek McKinnon not really able to find any holes. And Jermichael Hasty went out in this game. He broke his collarbone, fractured his collarbone. He will be out for the rest of the season. That's another running back loss. And the Niners are now down to two. They have Walters, who they called out this week. And he played decently well had a couple snaps in there did a little bit on kick return and they have Jarek McKinnon now who McKinnon I had a lot of high hopes for but it's starting to look like it's not going to work out with him after this he did sign a three-year deal this was this is going to be the end of it and I don't see the Niners re-signing him there is no bonus to having McKinnon on the field anymore he is just not explosive enough he doesn't hit the gaps he doesn't find the holes he can't really run that well and 1.96 yards per attempt really just show you uh, Niners just offensive line got kind of manhandled throughout the game. The Saints defensive line really able to dem- command the game and just stopping any run holes, any run chances the Niners had. The Saints on the offensive side, they didn't really have to do much. The Saints only passed for 139 yards and a touchdown. So between Drew Brees, and, who did break a rib, 
and did have a collapsed lung in this game. And Jameis Winston, who came in for him, they only had 139 passing yards. So that really just shows you the Saints were not needing to pass the ball because they were getting the ball in great field position. They had they got two they recovered two muff punts in Niners territory. And Harris, the kick return guy for the Saints, he also had a 75 yard kick return. So that really just shows you that the Saints were starting off with good field position. They were able they didn't really have to drive that much. And when you're not forcing the Saints to drive, you're just giving them really easy, quick touchdowns, which they were just able to eat up and then get the ball back pretty quick when the Niners often stopped. Niners had the, had a great drive to start out the game. They were up 10-0 at one point, but were not able to capitalize or move on from that. So it's a game where the Niners started out strong, didn't really progress that well. Something you want to see, you want to see them keep that first drive throughout the game, gave you a little hope, and then they just kind of took it away from you. The Saints on the ground, though, rushed on 30 attempts for 114 yards and two touchdowns. That is 3.8 yards per attempt. They were not really able to do anything with Alvin Kamara, who only had, he went eight for 15, but he had two, he did have two touchdowns, but those were more goal line instances, but only eight for eight for 15. That's not really anything, but Latavius Murray and Taysom Hill were able to run all over the place. Latavius Murray, nine for 57 and Taysom Hill, eight for 45, which is how they got up to that total of 114 rushing yards. And the Niners really, they kind of, that's something you want to look for them to slow down. 3.8 yards per attempt is not great. Their run defense was suspect last year and it is still suspect. Yes, they still have injuries along the defensive line, but that is something they are going to want to try to look into to fixing. They, I don't say they need another defensive tackle, but they just need help up there. They need guys to develop, guys like Javon Kinlaw, who actually did have his best day as a 49er. Kinlaw had one and a half sacks, two quarterback hits, and a tackle for loss. And this was Kinlaw's first sack as a 49er. And that's just really promising for him. He finally was able to get some production in there. He had been getting passes defended and getting pressures, but he had never got home. And this week, he finally got home. He was able to sack the quarterback. And that's something you want to see going forward with Javon, because if he can build off a performance like this, he can finish the year off good and strong. And then next year, he can develop on that even more. Because He's supposed to replace DeForest Buckner, which is really tough. DeForest Buckner is a top three def defensive tackle in this league, and he's supposed to replace that. Now, we knew he wasn't going to have the production DeForest would have in his first year, but he has shown promise. He is good against the run, and now if he can start getting those sack totals up, those sack numbers up, he will be looking to be a key piece in this defensive line. Another guy who you're going to have to think about double teaming when you get guys like Nick Bosa back on the other on the outside. Who are you going to double team? Are you going to double team Kinlaw on the inside or are you going to double team Bosa on the outside? Also coming in the middle, you got DJ Jones and on the other side, Ronald Blair. So they have pass rushers. They just kind of need to get healthy for the Niners. And this was a game that was marked by penalties all over the place. 11 total penalties on the game. Six penalties for 51 yards by the Niners. So you do have six penalties. It's only 51 yards. That's less than 10 yards per penalty, but that is still way too many. A really undisciplined game from them. Kind of surprising, but it also doesn't it doesn't help when you got calls like roughing the passer on Drew Brees. That, that Contavious Street hit was just ridiculous. And I just want to know what the rest were thinking when they saw that because I don't know... Maybe if Breeze got rid of the ball there, it wouldn't have been called. It could have been called roughing the passer. I can maybe agree with that. I still don't, but I can I can see it. I can see why you would call that. 
You can't call a sack rough in the passer. Since when can you not sack the quarterback? Like, that just blows my mind that the NFL would throw, like, they, they would have refs throw a flag on that play. And it might seem like an overreaction, like, oh, it was one play. Like, yes, we still lost the game. It wouldn't have changed anything. It would have just given straight another sack total. But I think it just really hurt. It just really is something that us Niners fans have gotten used to. I have seen many a times if a quarterback gets hit by a Niners player, there's going to be most likely a flag thrown uh, because they just like to call roughing the passer on these high-profile quarterbacks. And with the NFL going to protect more of the quarterback, they they like to throw them more. But you still have to teach the guys. If it's a sack, you can't call a flag on that play. It's ridiculous. Um, this Niners defense, though, their defensive line was able to get three total sacks. Should have been four with that Contavious Street call, but three total sacks. And that's not a very good offensive line. This is a very good offensive line from the Saints. So the fact that the Niners were able to get three sacks, four sacks technically, is very encouraging. And it's just telling you that if they, if their defensive line continues this production throughout the year, they can show you that even their depth is one of the best defense. Like even when their depth players are in there, they are still a formidable defensive line. So there were positives from this game that the Niners really should build on. As I said, Kamara, he had a terrible running game, but he did great in the past. He had 83 yards passing. On the flip side of that, Michael Thomas had 27. He was targeted seven, to- seven times, and he had two catches. So the Niners were, for the first time all year, able to stop a number one wide receiver, and that that's great. Maybe they can continue that because if they're getting pressure, the quarterbacks are not going to be able to throw downfield, which is what they need to do. That's what made their defense. That's what made their secondary so good. That's why the Niners were the number one defense against the pass last year, because they had the best defensive line in football. It got pressure to the quarterback, and were and the quarterbacks were forced to make errant throws that defenders can make plays on. That's what that's the strength of this defense is their defensive line in front seven. So if they can continue building on this, their secondary is going to be masked once again. And if you can keep masking that secondary, you can the problems there diminish and then you just really need them to play a solid 60 minutes with no mistakes which is possible it's very difficult but it is possible when you have a defensive line that's going to allow you to kind of make a mistake once or twice throughout the game and because they're getting pressured to the quarterback and they're getting a sack so that was a it, it wasn't a great game from the Niners it was kind of expected no one was really thinking we were going to beat the Saints so moving on from that the Niners will be going on into their bye week in week 11 and the number one, the number one thing is just to get healthy. Debo Samuel and Raheem Mostert need to come out of this and be healthy in the, for the Rams game. That needs to happen. And they need, they kind of need to get rid of this COVID bug they've developed. Javon Kinlaw wasn't just now, has been added to the COVID-19 list. So he will be out, but we'll see what happens because we need guys like Kinlaw Debo off the COVID list when we go to play against the Rams. So if we can get kind of out of this COVID bug, no one will really be in the facilities throughout this week. And then when you go get ready for uh, Sunday against that week 12 matchup against the Rams, then you can have guys in and bringing you're bringing in guys like Tack McKinley, who the Niners picked up off waivers, a defensive end, a defensive lineman. And he has played a career 49 games. He was a first round pick. He has a career 49 games in 17 and a half sacks. Those are promising numbers, and I like this pickup from the Niners. I really do. It's a great depth piece along the defensive line that has been just riddled with injuries. We already saw them pick up Jordan Willis earlier. Now they have Tack McKinley. So those are two guys that are they're really just showing you. Even though the Niners are injured to heck, they're like, we're just going to keep getting defensive linemen, and this is a really, really good 
low risk, high reward type of player because he wants to get paid. So if he wants to get paid, he's going to have to come out and work his ass off and work his butt off and get to the quarterback and get some sacks, get some pressures, get some QB hits, get some tackles for loss. You know, he's going to have to do something and the Niners don't need to pay him next year. They, he can just walk away and the Niners can just be happy. They got, they found a a placeholder for the end of this year. If he does well, you can maybe sign him to something cheaper and lower, maybe kind of do a prove it deal because this was only a couple games. You could be like, well, show us more of this and then you'll get your big payday that I know McKinley wants. So I really like the pickup from the Niners and really going into the bye week, they just need to get healthy because if they get healthy, they can beat the Rams. They already beat them once this year. They can beat them again. They have all the I have all the faith in this team to beat the Rams if they if they're healthy. That's the big if. So really out of the bye week, just get healthy for the Niners. And now it's been a few weeks, but I am gonna be jumping back into the San Francisco Giants and giving my opinions on all the free agent signings, rumors, and players we have been connected with and give you my two cents on if we should sign them and where we really should look to getting other pieces. And the first thing this starts out with is Kevin Gosman. And thank goodness, Kevin Gosman accepted the qualifying offer for $18.9 million. He will be back next year on a one-year deal. And this is great for the team. He was arguably our best starting pitcher last year. So getting him back really just helps strengthen the rotation, kind of keeps it a little bit of the same, same. And Gosman had a great year. He had a great year last year, so if he can build on that a little bit more, it'll be good for the Giants. Uh, the other pitcher that I wish we could have, we wish we could have kept, but however, he did leave in free agency is Drew Smiley. He signed a one-year, eleven million dollar deal with the Braves. That was more than what he was going to get with the Giants. He went out, got his money, and the Braves needed pitching help. So that's a good move for them. Uh, goodbye, Drew. Goodbye, Drew Smiley. Good luck in Atlanta. All the best for you. Another player the Giants did sign in free agency. This is a little bit of a minor signing, but it could do, could be really big for this next year, is Jason Vollmer. He is 27 years old, and he played first base, and he's a first baseman and third baseman. He split time there in 2019. We picked him up. He's coming out of the San Diego Padres uh, development program. And Vollmer's, Vollmer's interesting. He's got some interesting numbers. In 20, he's never made his MLB de- debut, and he's 27. In 2019, he hit 20 home runs and was batting uh, 291 with an 820 OPS in 116 games. Those are promising numbers for a first baseman and third baseman. He is a little bit interesting. Let's see what we have here. He had 45 walks to 102 strikeouts. That is a big rate, but he does have a lot of pop in his bat, which I do like. The Giants need guys who can hit. As they showed this year, this was one of the first years the Giants were actually a home run hitting team. They had multiple guys who hit double-digit home runs for like the first time in in a while, it seems like. So this is a good pickup for the Giants. It it gives them a lot of depth. This just gives adds youth to the roster because behind Belt, there's no one really. There's not a young first baseman we have in the in AAA or in AA that is ready. And behind Longo, there's almost nobody at third. So this is really good for the Giants to get someone, and we can decide where he needs to play depending on where our needs are. And I like him kind of being a little bit of a rotational piece, another Farhan Zaidi guy who's probably going to rotate in. I expect him to be on the major league roster when we kick back up in April and the league starts back up again. I expect him to be with the San Francisco Giants and not in Sacramento. 
and he should just be a bench piece that'll rotate in as needed and will play those games that Brandon Belt, Longoria, and even Wilmer Flores at third can't play. It just gives us a lot of depth and youth, and this was a needed signing from the Giants, a needed signing. And now, there are a lot of players the Giants have been connected with this free agency for the first time in what feels like forever. And one of the big ones is Trevor Bauer, and I don't think we sign him. I do not. If we do, that would be amazing because we would finally have an ace on this roster, but we would need to convince him to sign a longer contract. Trevor Bauer has already come out and said that he would prefer to sign one-year deals for the rest of his career, and John Heyman uh, predicted that he will sign with the Giants for a five-year, $150 million deal. I really like the terms and numbers on that deal. Like, a five-year deal is great. He will be 30 when the season starts back up, so a five-year deal, you don't want to give him really anything bigger than that. However, I don't see him signing this because I don't know if he's going to want to be stuck down with the Giants for five years. So he could sign like a two or three year deal. But in that case, I feel like he's just going to want to go on to a contending team and not a team that is nearing the end of its rebuild. So I do not think we will sign him. If we do sign him, that would be amazing. I would love to add him to the roster. However, I do not see it anywhere. I don't see it in the tea leaves. I don't see him coming to San Francisco. It doesn't make a lot of sense. The team I do think Bauer will end up with, though, is the San Diego Padres. He is an LA boy. There have been a lot of talks of him going to the Los Angeles Angels or Anaheim Angels, sorry, I don't think they're going to open up the money books. They're not going to open up the floodgate to get him after signing Rendon this year and not having a great year for the Angels. So look for Bauer to be a division rival this year in San Diego. And the other really big name that the Giants have been connected with is Francisco Lindor. And I am just praying the Giants do not go after Francisco Lindor. Francisco Lindor is one of my favorite players. I'm a big fan of the Indians. I was named after Kenny Lofton, after all. Uh, so I'm a big Indians fan. I do not think this is the right move for the Giants right now. Now, Lindor is still very young, and he's just now entering his prime. He, is, he just hit 27 years old four days ago on November 14th. So he is still young, but the Giants should not trade for him because if they trade for Francisco Lindor, they are going to be giving up one of their big-time prospects. And the one that'll, that people have been throwing around is Marco Luciano the shortstop in our farm system, who is said to be the next Francisco Lindor, and he's only 19. He will be 20 next September. The Giants have no reason to be trading for Francisco Lindor. If he's on the free agent market next year, because that's when he is set to hit free agency, if he is on that market, yes, the Giants should make a run at him. I would love to add him to the team, because then you can move Luciano to a second baseman, third baseman. Maybe you can move him to center field if he can play it, even though I think we have Heliot Ramos there, so we don't really need a center fielder. So maybe you just move him to a third baseman. Uh, Luciano has a bright future with the Giants. He is a five-tool shortstop. The Giants should have no interest whatsoever in sniffing around for a trade for Francisco Lindor. Now, if they signed him, that'd be great, like I said, but they should not trade for him. They need to keep their pieces because in 2022, the Giants may be ready to condemn once again. I really do think they are going to have that core built, and if they get some of those good veteran pieces like they did have in 2010, then they can be a team that can contend for the postseason and maybe even the World Series with it, because that is going to be a really good core, and Heliot Ramos, Marco Luciano, Hunter Bishop, Sean Agili on the mound, Melvin Adon, so that is a good team. 
that is good prospects. You just kind of you need to keep those prospects. You should not be dealing. The Giants are in no position to wheel and deal. They are in a position to take older veterans and take on bad contracts and flip those for younger prospects. They have been doing this a little bit. They did this with Drew Pomeranz last year. They need to continue doing this more and more. Some other guys the Giants have been connected with, uh, have there have been a couple starters. Jake Odorizzi from the Twins. I would really like if the Giants went out and signed him. He is thir- he will be 31 years old when the season begins, and he has the ability to be a top three rotation guy. He did have a little bit of a setback this year. Didn't really he only pay- pitched in four games. He was injured, but two years ago he was an All Star. So if he can go back to that ability, which he I think he can. He's only 31. He's not too old. So he still has some years left in the tank. The Giants really do need some rotation help because it looks like the rotation next year is gonna be. Kevin Gosman, Logan Webb, Tyler Anderson, Johnny Cueto, and those and Cueto is getting up there in age. Like he he did not look good this year at all. So they need kind of a, just another top three rotation guy, which Jake Odorizzi can be. He could plug in at your number two or three, depending on where you want to put him. So I think he is the best starting pitcher option out on the market for the Giants, and they should make a run at him and they should try to sign him. They should not overpay him. They should only be looking to get two to three year two two to three year contract no more than eight million per year something like that and the other big name pitcher that the Giants have been connected with is Corey Kluber he only pitched in one inning last year because of injury and he will be 35 in April so if the Giants can sign him onto a cheap one or two year deal he has the ability to be very low risk but very high reward type of player. Now, it is very risky. He is 35, so he is getting up there in age. But just two years ago, in 2018, his age 33 season, he was third in Cy Young voting in an all-star, and he had a sub-3 ERA. That is something the Giants need. He has the ability to be an ace if he can roll back the years. Now, I don't know if he will be able to tap back into that 2018 form, but I don't know if he will be as bad as he was in 2019. So really, if you're looking at it for the Giants, this is a guy you kind of want to go after, but you don't want to overpay him. You really need to avoid overpaying him. He should only be signing a one or two year deal and at the max eight mil per year, no more than eight mil, no more than eight million per year, because at that point you're overpaying the guy and you're giving a 35 year old way too much money to maybe be, if he's bad, a four or five on your rotation. You need to be paying this guy eight, seven, seven, eight million to be a one or two guy in this rotation. So if the Giants sign him, I'm okay with it. And then it's just kind of let's see what what see what Corey Kluber has left. Let's see what he can do in a Giants uniform in a, in Oracle Park. And one of the big relievers the Giants have been been connected with because the Giants do need relief help has been Kirby Yates, the closer, the ex closer for the San Diego Padres. He has been a journeyman. He has not had a great career, and he will be turning 34 when the season begins. So he is up there in age. But you're not going to really find young, good relief pitchers because a lot of them are signed up and locked up. And relief pitchers is a weird, it's a weird position because a lot of guys don't come up to the MLB until they're around 27, 28. So that position is more of an older one. So the age doesn't really concern me on Kirby Yates when I say he's 34 years old. And the Giants really need that back end of the bullpen help because it hurt us down the stretch when we had Coonrod out there. And so getting a guy who we know every day will be our closer would be great. Because last year, you didn't know. After Gott had his three-game stretch where he was just terrible, there wasn't a closer for the rest of the year. It was 
it was a committee. It was kind of by committee. So the Giants really need to get a guy who will just be in there for the ninth inning, and we know he's back there in our bullpen, and Kirby Yates has the ability to do that. He is one year removed from being one of the best closers, maybe even the best closer in 2019. And in 2020, he did not pitch a lot. He was he did get injured, and he had an elbow injury where they had to remove bone chips. So it wasn't a Tommy John. It wasn't Tommy John, which is big. It was not Tommy John. It was only removing bone chips from his elbow. So he can still come back and be an elite closer like he was um, in 2019. I think he has that ability. And I think making a run at him is a good option because I don't really see any other relief pitching options that will fill a closer role that like he can. The Giants should try to sign him to a one-year deal, no more than $7 million. $7 million, like I said earlier, for those other two guys. And yeah, I really like Kirby Yates on the free agency market. If the Giants can get him, they should. They should swoop in because he is the best reliever on the market. And he will really, just really help the Giants out in that closer position, which is their biggest need right now coming into next year. And the final thing I want to talk about with the Giants is should they sign one of these big free agent bats like Michael Brantley, George Springer, Justin Turner? And I really do not think the Giants should. They should really stay away from this free agent market, maybe pick up a small bat here or there, something for the bench, something like a Wilmer Flores type of player, but they should not be going out and going after a guy like George Springer. I really do not like that because these guys are older. There's not really any big free agent who's going to be under the age of 29 or 30. And when you're a team that's not going to be contending for until the next, you're not going to be contending next year. And maybe you'll contend in 2022 if all of your prospects are up and ready in the big leagues. You really should not sign a bat. Now, in 2021, in that free agency, yes, the Giants should go out and sign someone because then in 2022, as I said, they will be ready for contention. So that's when you want to bring in that veteran bat. This year, it's not the year. I don't really see anyone who is a big plus over anyone else. Yes, George Springer is a good center fielder. He does provide a lot of pop in his bat, and he's a decent fielder. However, I don't really think that is going to help this team that much. Maybe he'll help us win another 5 four or five games at most in a 162 game season. I don't think that helps us get into the playoffs in 2021. So really they should avoid this free agent market and kind of look to see what you can do in 2020 in the 2021 free agent market. Cause that's where it's going to be big. Cause that's when that's where all that the shortstops are going to be plentiful there. So teams are going to be looking at those. You might be able to go and swoop someone else. There are options for 2021. So the giants should kind of need to sit back and be patient. It's not going to be, this is not their year to go out and splash. Zydia said he is willing to splash, and if he does, I want him to see him make a splash on a guy like Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer as a splash is a good signing. If you go out and splash on George Springer or JT Realmuto, that is not a good signing. Uh, Real Muto would be the worst case signing for the Giants, actually, because if you're signing Real Muto, what are you doing with Posey and Bart? Because Bart... I think should be up on the major D, major league roster day one. I don't know if he will, but he should because I think he should be spending time with Posey and kind of like an every other day thing. One day Posey, one day Bart, one day Posey, one day Bart, one day Posey, one day Bart. Something kind of like that where you can kind of get into a rhythm and allow Bart to learn a little bit more under Posey at what it takes to be a major league backstop and that is all i have for you guys this week i will catch you next thursday on the long live the bay podcast